The scripture reading for this morning is from Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. Please stand for the reading of God's word. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. This is a prayer of Anselm, Archbishop of Canterbury from 1033 to 1109. Oh God, you are life, wisdom. No, this is a prayer of George Herbert. Oh Lord, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen love these older prayers. I'm going to start weaving them in because, A, it's, it's kind of cool to connect ourselves to the history of the church, to these, to these saints that have prayed prayers like this, prayers of illumination that God would illumine our hearts. Plus, by golly, the words are so rich, right? So it's a blessing. I'll do that every now and then. And then when I pray, you'll be like, oh, wow, just Mark's words. <laughs> Oh, all right, so we're continuing a series on gospel culture, on forming an ever-deepening culture of grace at Grace Church. Uh, gospel culture we've defined as the shared experience of divine grace for the undeserving. The shared experience of divine grace for the undeserving. Last week, we looked at the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, and we ended that sermon by, by thinking about what it must have been like in the father's house, right? in this parable that Jesus told. The, the, the younger brother comes back, and, and the father says, kill the fattened calf, let's celebrate, because this son of mine who was dead is alive again. And they go back into the house. And of course, the, the parable ends with Jesus explaining that God, represented by the Father in the parable, is going out even to these grumbling Pharisees who were present hearing Jesus tell this parable and inviting them into the feast as well. And so the great cliffhanger at the end of that sermon, at the end of that passage, is will Will they come in? Will these steadfastly stoic religious types who are so frustrated that these other people who don't deserve it are getting the grace, grace that nobody deserves, but that they think they deserve, will, will they enter in to the feast? Will they share in the Father's joy? That, that was the, the point of the parables that Jesus was telling. He told three parables in Luke chapter 15, right? The parable of the shepherd who had lost a sheep and went after it. The parable of the woman who had lost a coin and went searching for that. And then the parable of the prodigal, two prodigals, the younger brother and the older brother, right? And what did the shepherd say when the sheep was found? To those who were with him, rejoice with me, for this sheep of mine that was lost has been found. What did the woman say when the coin was found to those around her? Rejoice with me, because this coin that was lost 
has now been found. And then, of course, the father in the parable says of the younger brother to those around him, celebrate with me. Let's have a feast. And then he goes out to the younger, older brother and invites him in. What would the older brother have experienced? If the older brother had accepted the invitation and gone in, he would have had the opportunity to share in the father's joy over the fact that he had repented because he too was a prodigal, distant from God the father in heart, even though very fastidious in his observance of God's laws. Joy is what the older brother would have experienced. Joy is what all of those in the household would have been experiencing. Joy that was the overflow of the very joy of the heart of God because Jesus is telling us through those parables in Luke chapter 15, God can't contain his joy. He wants to share it with others. So, the question we begin to ask this Sunday and for the rest of this series is, How would those people in the Father's house have related to one another? What would it look like for people who are prodigals, every one of us, invited by God's grace into fellowship with the Father that we might share in His joy over the repentance and return of all of us prodigals? How how do people enjoying that reality relate to one another. That's what the rest of this series, which is not a long series, but that's what we're going to be looking at in in various passages of Scripture. And this morning, we, we ask the simple question, what is going on when Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God? How do redeemed and reconciled prodigals welcome one another. So four questions we're going to ask of this uh, short passage this morning. First, how has Christ welcomed you? I mean, let's just reflect on that. Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Thinking about what it means to be welcomed by Jesus is integral to welcoming others as we've been welcomed by him. So that's the first question we'll wrestle with together. How has Christ welcomed you? And then secondly, a little bit harder question, what keeps me from welcoming others that way? What keeps us from welcoming others as we've been welcomed by Jesus? The the third very important question is how can we change? And then fourth, what will result? What will result? So first, how has Christ welcomed you? I'll tell you what I tend to think about when I think of how Christ has welcomed me. I think about the price he paid to welcome me. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. For his friends. We've lost, most of us perhaps, I shouldn't make a broad statement, but but most of us have just lost this idea of of the richness of friendship. We're friendly with lots of people. We may not have any friends. A friend is someone who knows your heart (laughs) and accepts you anyway. A A friend is someone that you can call on in the middle of the night 
People that you're friendly with may, may not be the, your go-to when you have a need, but friends, yes. Jesus laid down his life for his friends. He is pleased to call you friend if you've trusted him for your salvation. John in 1 John 3.16 says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. How do I know that Jesus loves me? The cross. The cross. I think of the price he paid to welcome me. I think of his promise to welcome me home one day. And when I was younger, I never thought about heaven. But I'm getting older. And life is hard. By God's grace, I haven't experienced any major illnesses. But boy, do I find myself thinking about heaven more and more and more. And Jesus will welcome me home. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that, that where I am you may be also. Jesus will be delighted to welcome me into his presence. I think also of his desire to be with me now despite my sin. Revelation 3.20. Revelation 3.20 is a passage that we often think of in in an evangelistic way. But it's a letter written to the churches. And Jesus says this in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is an invitation that Jesus is giving to Christians. There's a door that's separating them, if you will. Jesus hasn't left the room. We've kicked him out. I've kicked him out. I'll do my own thing now, Jesus. I've slammed the door behind him and Jesus is knocking and saying, if you'll let me in. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to eat with you, share a meal with you. That that depth of intimacy and fellowship, Jesus is saying, though you've cast me out, I'm still knocking. I think of that when I think about Jesus' welcome of me. I think of his commitment to my holiness. He will not let me go off in the directions that I want to go. He will, because he has given me his spirit and given me his word, ensure that I will be transformed into his likeness. I have the promise that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Jesus will see to it. He's committed to my holiness. And then there is this fundamental acceptance of me. I'm enough. I don't have to merit his favor. I don't have to do anything to, 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 to earn his love. I'm enough because of his grace. City of Light is a, a worship group that, that I've, I, I love their stuff. And, and, you know, I'd encourage you to go YouTube them and, or, you know, whatever, Google them, Apple Music, whatever, whatever works. There's a, a song um, of theirs called Good and Gracious King that has just become my morning song. It's like the first song I listen to of the day. And the first verse is this. I approach the throne of glory. Nothing in my hands I bring, but the promise 
of acceptance from a good and gracious king. This is how Jesus has welcomed me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is how he's welcomed you. And these are the ways that we are to welcome one another, imperfectly to be sure. We are not Jesus. But intentionally, sacrificially, lovingly. Jesus said in John 14, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I'm sorry, that's John 15. We, we need to let people all the way in. Jesus doesn't just tolerate us. He welcomes us. And he, he invites us to something more than just getting along. He invites us to love one another as we've been loved by him. So what, what keeps us from welcoming others like Jesus? That's our second question. Let's look at, you know, the context here. What, what was going on in um, the church in Rome to which Paul was writing? In Romans 14 and Romans 15, Paul is addressing a very particular problem. There's disunity in the church because of a, a division between whom he refers to as the strong and the weak. Now, in Rome, as in other uh, letters in the New Testament, we, we read of this issue, this question of whether or not one can eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And so in that culture, uh, sacrifices were offered at various temples all the time, not Christian sacrifices, you know, pagan sacrifices were being offered in order to ensure that the gods would um, bless the harvest or that the gods would bless their work, or whatever the case may be. Well, then they would sell the meat. You know, meat markets. And so the question became, for Christians, are, are we sinning if we buy that meat and eat it because it was sacrificed to an idol? Now, Paul's clear teaching in this passage and in other places is, no, we're not sinning if we do that. That is not participating in idolatry, in false worship, by eating meat that's being sold in the meat market that had previously been at sacrifice to idols. Paul's siding with the strong in the faith who recognize that and are able to enjoy the liberty that they have in Christ to be able to eat even meat that had been used in a, in a pagan sacrifice. The, the weak in Romans 14 and 15 are those who, whose consciences were burdened by that. They did not feel that that's something that they could with a clear conscience do. They were, they were convinced that it was sin to do so. And Paul, in Romans 14 and 15, comes down hard on the strong and says, you are to bear with the weak. You are not to put any stumbling block before the weak. That's a uh, taken from 1 Corinthians. You are to serve others. Your first priority must be seeking their good. Don't please yourself, is what he says here at the end of chapter 14. Jesus did not come to please himself. He came to please and to serve and to care, ultimately to rescue others. You who are strong in the faith must be the same way. Follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. This isn't about you. It's really what it boiled down to. Cliff Notes version of chapter 14. Dear Strong, this isn't about you. Okay? That's what's going on in Rome. Consequently, there was a lack of unity and there was a lack of harmony 
in the church. And as a result, as we'll make application from the passage we read uh, this morning, there was a lack of glory being given to God. Disunity, lack of harmony, diminishment of glory given to God because of what was going on. Now, that's Rome. What about us? You know, some of us may deal with that same kind of self-righteousness, right? The, the strong were being very self-righteous. They were looking down on the weak because they, after all, had it right. We know the freedom that we have in Christ. So there may be some element of self-righteousness here. There may be some sense in which we're here because we want to be seen as strong. We want to be seen as those who are really honoring God in a way that those lesser Christians aren't. That, that may be what's going on in your heart, and you need to go before God and allow him to search your heart with respect to that. But I think there's a way in which we're, we're like the, the, the weaker brothers and sisters as well. You can picture these weaker brothers and sisters who are going to church every day feeling as though they were less than, feeling as though they were not really accepted, not really welcomed because they didn't have all their doctrine right. Or you could imagine strong or weak showing up in church exhausted. It had been a hard week. The world tends to beat us up, doesn't it? It's fallen, it's broken. We deal with our sin, the brokenness of the world, the, the temptations and lures of the devil, and we show up in church weary. And we show up in church kind of turned in on ourselves. This has been a conviction that I feel like the Lord has been laying on my heart. Mark, so often when you go through, you know, trials or, or difficulties or, or just, you know, simple nothing frustrations, you turn in on yourself. When I turn in on myself, I'm not open to God and I'm not open to loving others. And then when I show up in church, still turned in on myself, what am I missing? You, you do realize that the pastor can be up here preaching and still be turned in on himself. But there's joy to be shared as a fellowship of redeemed prodigals if we'll just lift up our eyes. If we'll come in here with a sense of thanksgiving to God for what he has done, and then we'll look across the sanctuary, look across the, the, the counter in back, look across the, the yard or the parking lot and see other fellow prodigals who likewise are invited to enter into this joy of our salvation. You realize we need one another for that. The, the welcome that we enjoy, that we're invited to enjoy on Sunday morning, goes beyond, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're here. You know, the, the handshake, the hug, whatever it may be. It's in those moments when you begin to to know one another in such a way that you can, you can see in their eyes when their eyes are clouded over with the cares of the world. And you come alongside and you say, you know what? Let's pray about this right now. Let's go together before the throne of grace. Nothing in our hands we bring but the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious king. Let's, let's do that together right now. Now we're beginning to lift one another up from our burdens, from the things that would cause us to turn in on ourselves 
that we might look together at this God who is great and glorious and come alongside together to enter more fully into his joy. That's what we need. How do we change? Third question, how do we change? Martin Luther was a very colorful character. In fact, um, his wife was a pretty colorful character as well. What, what Katie Von Bora did with Martin Luther when he was turned in on himself a little bit, I recommend that we not do to one another. Um, but I love the snarkiness of it, so I'm going to share the story. This is something that could probably only happen between husband and wife. So Martin Luther was given to turning in on himself, like so many of us can be. He was kind of in this dark and gloomy place where everything, you know, he was having his Eeyore moment. I have my Eeyore moments. He was having his Eeyore moment. And <laughs> Katie, his wife, came downstairs wearing her black funeral de- dress. And he looked at her and said, what, did somebody die? And she said, well, based on your demeanor, God must have died. So I'm prepared for his funeral. <laughs> they, they, were a, they were a colorful couple. Martin Luther had some colorful quotes. If you go online and just quote Martin Luther quote generator, a new quote will come up every day, and they're fun. I love this quote from Luther concerning the gospel, because this is the key to change. We need the gospel more on our hearts. Luther knew that. Luther said this, This truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary it is that we know this article well, teach it to others, and then here's where it gets a little snarky, and beat it into their heads continually. We need the gospel more and more on our heart. That's where it begins. This culture of grace that we're wanting to see form even more deeply. This place where people feel welcomed, not just into the service, but into the heart of the person to whom they're talking. That will only happen as God works to imprint the gospel on our hearts. Paul's praying this way in in Ephesians chapter 3 when he prays that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding. He is asking, but he's pleading with God, may the gospel be more deeply pressed into their hearts. Make it your prayer. Make it your prayer every day. Something like this. Word it however you want. But God, please give me a greater sense of love from you that might, I might have a greater love for you and a resulting love for others. The gospel on the heart, not just our words or even our devotion to that, but the gospel on the heart is key. And so we pray. That's something that only God can do. We have to have our Bibles open. We have to be studying. We have to be praying. These means of grace that God has given us, we need to engage in them, but they are still, at the end of the day, simply means through which God works to imprint the gospel on our hearts. We need that. And then as Peter, I'm sorry, Paul tells us in this passage, we we need to avail ourselves of the resources and the hope that's ours in God. Let's go back to the passage real quick. I'm going to read verse 4. 
So, actually, let me just go back to the beginning of, of chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days, so he's talking about the Bible, all the Bible that they had up to that point, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance... And the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now, Paul is always very deliberate. The, the aspects of God's character, his attributes that he draws on, are always meant to fit the particular issue that's at hand, the particular problem that he's addressing. And so he, he draws on the scriptures, and he points to the encouragement and the endurance that they bring. And then he goes on in verse 5 and says, may the God of endurance and encouragement. So the endurance and encouragement that comes from the scriptures, God is the author of that. God is the one who will grant us the endurance and the encouragement to welcome one another. Let's go on. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. These, these amazing resources. Jump down to, well, you don't have your, if you have your Bible open, look at verse 13, otherwise I'll read it. He refers to God now as the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the, by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Abound together in hope. That's you plural, not you singular. <laughs> do you realize, do you see God's commitment to our unity, to our harmony? We have application, our call, the command from this passage is to welcome one another as we have been welcomed by Christ for the glory of God. That's the application, the, the resources, the, the indicatives that precede the imperative, the, the truths that provide the foundation for what we're called to do. The scriptures bring endurance and encouragement. The God is the very God of endurance and encouragement. The hope that we are called to is a hope that is of God. He is the one who gives us this hope. All hope comes from him. And so, yeah, we need the gospel more on our hearts. And we need to marvel at God's commitment to our unity, to a shared hope in which we're invited to abound Earlier in Romans, Paul says where sin increased, grace abounded, hyperabounded. And it's hope that hyperabounds here. How do we change? Well, we, we change by praying that God would continue to imprint the gospel of his grace upon our hearts. We, we, we change as we just marvel at God's commitment to what he wants to do among his people. And then, in obedience, we take that step. We go beyond the simple hello to invite someone into our heart, to invite someone into our home, to invite them to receive a word of encouragement. We'll, we'll talk another time about the need to speak the truth and love to one another. That's part of this series. So I'm not in any way downplaying the, the call, the necessity for us to challenge, rebuke one another. That's coming. That's part of gospel culture. 
But for right now, that opportunity to, to provide a word of wisdom that's like a golden apple in a setting of silver, or however that proverb goes, you can correct me later on that one. Out of love, we move toward one another. What will happen as we do? Well, I've been hinting at it all along. Harmony, unity, greater glory unto God. Where is the glory of God most clearly seen today? The church. The church. And one of the ways... Not the only way. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper is significant as well and everything else that's happening in the worship service. But one of the ways in which the glory of God is seen is simply in the way that we relate to one another. Did not Jesus pray for our unity that the world might believe that he was sent by God the Father? He did. He did. This welcome that we're commanded to extend to one another is a welcome that's not just about us. It's about the lost. It's about the harvest field. It's about a world that is hungry for relationships like we're invited to share here. But ultimately, the relationships, of course, between us point vertically to that relationship that we enjoy between us and our Heavenly Father. How has Christ welcomed you? I really want to encourage you to meditate on that this week. I've shared with you how I have experienced that welcome. I want to encourage you as you have your Bibles open, as you're reflecting, as you're praying. Lord, help me to see from this passage as I read this today what it reveals of your gracious invitation to me to enter into and enjoy this relationship that I have with you. What keeps you from welcoming others that way? If there's sin there that needs to be confessed, confess it. Repent. Recognize that the greatest stumbling blocks to relationship with others is first and foremost what is going on in your own heart. How will you change? God, would you help me see and know and experience more of what it means to be loved by Jesus. And what will happen as a result? God is glorified as we worship together with one voice. The world is not a welcoming place. We look for it. We look for welcome. We, we, we look for relationships. We look for jobs. We look for entertainment, whatever the case may be, ultimately because we're looking for some sense of welcome, some sense of belonging. The world will not welcome us. The younger brother in the parable learned that the hard way. This is where we experience the welcome of Christ offered through human touch, human words, mutual encouragement. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gracious hope that is ours, the unity that you have purchased for us, the harmony into which you are committed to bring us, and then this hope in which we're invited to abound. It's a, it's a hope that looks beyond Grace Church. It's a hope that looks beyond anything in this 
earthly realm. It's a, it's a hope that ultimately looks to the renewed earth. It looks to heaven and the unity and the harmony and the joy of people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation gathered together around your throne with one voice worshiping you. Oh God, until that day, would you increase our joy as we experience more of what it means to be redeemed prodigals reconciled to you and in you to one another. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.